Welcome. Thanks for joining us today on the Venture Podcast. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you along your journey. Well, I do want to welcome you today. My name is Tim Lundy. It's my privilege to be able to serve as a senior pastor here at Venture. And uh, we're coming off a great holiday weekend. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. We did at the Lundy household, full household, lots of people in and out of town. And so we were so thankful. I ate way too much food. But other than that, uh, it was a great day. You know, food, the Cowboys won. And the Niners, the Niners won too. So yeah, with that. And uh yeah, and, and just a great opportunity. We're coming off a great season as a church, so much to be thankful for. In fact, just to give you a, kind of an update, uh, we finished the official breakthrough campaign, but breakthrough will be a part of what we're doing for the next several years. As people are stepping forward, it's been so exciting to see so many people who stepped forward, who made a commitment by faith, who stepped out by faith. In fact, since last week, Another 1.7 million was committed to the campaign. Yeah, it's unbelievable. So it puts our campaign total at 22 million, about 300,000. And so we're just blown away by not only your responsiveness to what God's doing, but also this step of faith. I've I've been talking to so many of you and you're like Lee and me. We we kind of, we felt like God called us stepped out by faith. We're waiting to see how he's gonna answer that step of faith over the next few years. But I would encourage you, if you're like me, go ahead and get started. That's one of the things I did. I, I don't know how we're gonna meet the total, but I know that we can get started. Get started in the campaign, get started in that journey and be a part of what he's doing in that. We had great news as well. Uh, You know, we've been praying. We've got all these plans. We've submitted to the city and we heard great feedback from the town of Los Gatos about our plans thus far. Yeah, they had great responsiveness, feedback. On schedule, keep praying with that. There's many meetings to go, but just seeing God show up in all those ways. And and the, the third thing I would just ask you to keep praying when it comes to breakthrough, there's many of you that are praying for spiritual and personal breakthrough. And we want to lean into that. We we want this whole journey over the next several years to be one where God keeps stirring our hearts. He keeps showing up in ways. I'm already hearing from you that you go, man, God has answered prayer requests. I I didn't know that he would. He is showing up in ways in our lives. We've got the prayer night on Wednesday night. We're going to lean in Wednesday night and come together as a church. And we're going to pray for spiritual breakthrough. We're going to pray for missional breakthrough. Uh, So many of you have talked to me and you go, man, Tim, facilities are great, but what I'm excited about is the missional training that we get to go on mission together as a church to reach our area. And and I would encourage you, Winter Wonderland is coming up. That's why we do it. We go on mission. And I don't know if you've invited someone. I don't know if you can serve. Here's what I would encourage you. If you have the opportunity, invite someone and come with them and hang out with them for a few hours. And while your kids may be in the bounce house, you could begin a conversation together. You can begin part of that journey. That's why we do what we do. And so we don't have to wait for a campaign to finish to be about what God's called us to do. And so I'd encourage you, join us with each step along the way. And we have so much to be thankful for and to celebrate. In fact, this weekend, I want to turn our attention a little bit. You know, here at Venture, 
If, if you're part of supporting adventure, we have the general fund and then we've launched Breakthrough. We're giving that over and above. And then a core part of us, key members of the church and anybody's welcome, we also give to outreach. It's what we give, it's how we serve, it's how we're involved around the world. And I, I, I'm always surprised, I take it for granted. You can kind of be here for a while, you take it for granted. Everybody knows what we're doing around the world. If you're new to venture, one of the things you're gonna discover, this church long before me, and long before even Chip and other pastors has always had a passion for global missions, has always had a passion for impact in the world. And so that outreach fund, and, and if you want more information, I just go on our website, venture.cc, right there on the main page, you'll see make a difference locally and globally. It's what we do. The last few years, about $2 million have been given and that's what we do outwardly. And we have the opportunity through that. We have 27 missionaries that we support directly. We have 34 missionary partners total. We work in several regions where we've really gone deep. And so we're doing deep work in Mexico with key partners there. We do deep work in India, have unbelievable partnership there. We've had years of work in Ethiopia and the partnership there. And in this current time, I'm so thankful. We have longstanding partners all throughout the Middle East. And during the middle of this crisis, to be able to work with our partners who are ministering to believers all throughout the Middle East in this time. That's a part of what Venture's been in. One of the key things that we've done through that, and, and it was a surprise to me when I came here, is that Venture has a child sponsorship program. Um, not, not just working with bigger programs out there, but Venture Church directly has sponsored kids in Ethiopia since 2005. Over 600 students have been sponsored over the years by you. Some of you have taken them all the way from kindergarten all the way up graduating high school and even beyond their sponsorship in college. We, we have a school in Harara. It's a small village. It's about two hours to the nearest paved road. It's a Muslim village where the Muslim leaders love and respect Venture Church because of our investment there. The leaders of the village have, have come to Venture members and thank them personally because they've watched their kids be able to go to a school that didn't exist before. They've watched their kids get an education they weren't gonna get otherwise. They've watched them be able to take steps in life and they're thankful we're there while at the same time, all of those kids are getting the gospel invested in their life. That's been going since 2005. We have a partnership in India since 2016. We've seen over 300 students and we come at a unique time. If you know anything of what's going on in India right now in the world, the persecution that's there. And for us to be able to come and we work through local partners in this because we feel like they are the best to work with those who are local. And those local partners are able to come alongside students at the age of about 16, 17, 18, because that is such a key juncture in their lives when many of them, if their education stops, their opportunities stop. And to be able to come along and not only provide education, but have a pastor who's sharing, and you saw the story. That was young, one young man 
that we sponsor that in that program has come to Christ and has a future and is sharing the good news in his own life because of that. The last couple of years, Lee and I have sponsored a, a young woman named uh, Barty. And she went through the program. She finished. It's a two-year program. And so this summer, we signed up again for Jess Breed. We've got a young woman that we support in Ethiopia. We've had for over seven years with that. And we did it through compassion. It was before we came back to venture. But we, in our family, I, I can't fathom not being a part of this. I, I, honestly, I can't fathom not being a part of what God's doing around the world. And, and I would hope, and just today, as we look at this and we look at Jesus' ministry and we look at what he's doing in the world, I would hope we just again kind of lift up our eyes and think about it both locally and globally and specifically in these ways. Think about the ways that we get to be a part of Jesus' ministry and mission. We get to be a part of that. In all the ways God could have set up his kingdom, he set it up so that you and I don't miss out on the things that bring the greatest life. And when I tell you that I can't fathom not being a part of these sponsorship programs, the reason I say that is the life it brings me, what it does for me spiritually. And I think it's one of the reasons when Jesus taught and when he taught his disciples how they would do ministry, he pointed them, even in that three years, he started teaching them, hey, it's not just me doing it all. I want to do it through you guys. In fact, if you got your Bibles and we'll look at it on the screen, you can look at Mark chapter six. I want to look at a passage and it's a familiar miracle of Jesus because it's in all the gospels. It's one of the most repeated. It's a miracle he did a couple of times. It's this massive feeding day that he did. One time he did it with 4,000 men, so it's probably about 7,000, 8,000 people. The passage we're looking at, it, it declares there were 5,000 men that were there, and then we call it the feeding of the 5,000. That was just the men. That didn't include the women, the children, and beyond that. So it's probably about 10,000 plus people. And, and it's this phenomenal miracle because it's part of proving him as Messiah. It's a phenomenal miracle because it showed that as his people are in the wilderness, he was the bread of life. He could bring the bread like manna that came from heaven from God. It was proving his divinity in a big way. That's why it's in all the gospels. But I want us to look at the passage, not from the perspective of proving Jesus' divinity. I want us to look at how he is training his disciples through it. Because in this, he's showing them the type of ministry they would be a part of, even when they thought it was beyond them, even when they didn't want to do it. Give you some context in Mark chapter six, he's just sent the disciples out on their first short-term mission trips. He sent them out in teams. They've been following Jesus, they've been learning from Jesus, and they just get to go out, and they get to go out without him. And they're out preaching and they're doing miracles. It says they did exorcism and they all come back to Jesus and they're exhausted. They're like, whoo, that was good. You ever been on a short-term trip? Anybody here? And they're great. I, I love going on short-term mission trips. I used to go a lot out of O'Hare in Chicago. I'd go to Rwanda, go to different places. And there's, there's this a McDonald's in O'Hare. And I love nothing more than, man, you flew back in and got some McDonald's. 
and just sat there. You're like, oh, I am done. I just, nobody talked to me for a while. That's how the disciples are right now. They're in that tired place. And Jesus recognized it. Look in Mark 6. He says, the apostles returned to Jesus. They told him all that they had done and taught. They were like, this is awesome. We can't believe this. He said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and let's rest for a while. Jesus recognized there's a place for rest. For many were coming and going. They had no leisure even to eat. They've been so busy doing ministry. They hadn't had time to eat. Now, this is going to be a key theme throughout the story, food and hunger. But don't forget this whole passage, the disciples are hungry. The disciples are tired and they went away in a boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now, many saw them going and recognized them and they ran there on foot from all the towns and they got there ahead of them. Can you imagine the emotions? The disciples are like, yes, we're going to get away. We're going to get a little R&R. We're going to get some alone time with Jesus. They get on a boat, you go and you look up on the shore and uh, all the people ran and they're waiting for you. Remember, they're done. They're, they're in that place of like, oh. You look at the next passage on it. When they went ashore, Jesus saw the great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. They are so spiritually hungry, they've literally chased him into the wilderness. Now, I, I think for us, when we live in the age of podcast and internet and we have sermons on demand, I can get the best of the best in a moment. Sometimes we forget what it's like for people. They're not hearing anything like this. They're so desperate for it. I remember one time a few years ago, I was in Africa. I was teaching as part of this outdoor crusade that was going on. And the first day of it, I'm sitting there, we're listening. And the first speaker comes up and it starts raining. And this is outdoors. We're all just sitting on the hillside. And I'm looking at it. And I was with the Bishop John, one of the bishops in, in Africa. And he had put on the whole conference. And I'm like, oh man, I bet he's dying. It's raining. This is killing the conference. And then I looked up and nobody moved. Nobody left. It just kept going. And, and finally I said to, to John, I was like, um, are you not worried about the rain? And he, he would always go, oh, Tim. He had this voice, Tim, you will learn in Africa, rain is part of life. We're not scared of it. But we have no other days to do this conference. And so if it must rain, it must rain. But we're here to listen. And I sat there and I thought, could, could I get anybody even in my own church to listen to me preach in the rain? Now, part of it is we're so full. We have so many opportunities. And Jesus looks at these people and they're so desperately hungry. But speaking of hunger, as it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place. The hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Notice they kind of direct it like this is for the people. But I think it's actually what they want to do. We want to go to the countryside and we want to get something to eat. 
You know, you, you ever do that? You say something like you're acting like it's for them, it's really for you. You ever had like dinner guests and they keep staying and staying and staying? And finally you look up and you go, oh, it is getting so late. I'm sure you're tired. How dare I kept you up so late. And we, we do this for so long, you know, why don't you go? I'm not really caring about you. I'm saying this for my sake. That's where the disciples are. They're like, Jesus, okay, this is all fun and good. But remember, we, we were gonna rest. We're hungry. And, and I, I think if, if anything, they've got this place where they got ministry fatigue or compassion fatigue. You, you ever hit that point? I do. You just hit a point and it's like there's too many needs and there's too many people and there's always something coming at you and somebody always needs something and there's more to do in that. And you, you kind of hit this point and you go, can we just send them away? Now, notice the difference though with Jesus. When he looks at them, he sees sheep without a shepherd. Yes, this is a bad time. Yes, we wanted to rest. Yes, it's a, it's a time when we were gonna get away. And, and I know all of that. It is good to have rest and it's good to have balance and it's good to have all those things. But you know what? Sometimes the needs of people invade the schedule that you wanted to have. And Jesus, instead of being driven by his needs and his hunger, he goes, Man, look at these people. They're sheep without a shepherd. They're not just a bother. They're not just getting in the way. They're not just showing up at the wrong time. They, they can't help themselves. Guys, you picture sheep without a shepherd, it's not a pretty sight. And, and sometimes I have to remind myself, do I see people this way? Especially when I look at the world. You look at what's going on in the world. You look at the problems in the world. You look at the hopelessness that keeps rising up. You look at the anxiety rates and you look at the level of depressions and you look at the drug epidemic that we have. The epidemic to devices. The sexual confusion everywhere. And there's a part of me that I can look at that and it's almost, I can get this judgmental attitude. Well, look what they've done now. Look what they're coming out with now. Look what they're saying now. Look at this. And, and I stand back almost judgmental like, well, they deserve it. Look at it. You know how Jesus looks at all that? He said, they're sheep and they don't have a shepherd. Of course they act that way. Of course they're needy. Of course they're messy. Of course they're showing up in a time you actually don't want them to show up. Because you had scheduled your ministry time for this day at this time and they had the audacity to show up when you least wanted it. Because they're sheep without a shepherd. And the great news about Jesus is that his ministry always flows from the heart because he actually cares. Doesn't flow from the schedule. Doesn't flow from what's easy. Doesn't flow because it's the people he wants to minister to or the people that, oh yeah, that kind of fits what I wanted to do anyway. It flows from his heart because he cares. 
because he's the, the good shepherd. See, Satan is the thief. He only comes to steal and kill and destroy. He says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I love that verse. We often stop there though. Here's how it, they got abundant life. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I care enough about him that I'll lay my life down for him. I care enough about him that, that I'll meet whatever need they have right now. Here's what Jesus recognized. Yes, these people are hungry and this physical hunger is gonna keep them from satisfying what they really need, which is spiritual hunger. They need what I'm teaching them. They need what I'm telling them. They need the ministry I'm doing. And this hunger is gonna get in the way. And so he looks at the disciples and here's the interesting part and this part I want us to train from it. He answered them, he said, will you give them something to eat? They came and they said, hey Jesus, everybody's hungry here. And so he looks at him, he says, great, do something about it. You do it, do it. Now look at their response. Now remember, and, and I wanna cut them some slack a little bit, because they're hangry. That's when you're so hungry, you're angry. You know, they're, they're in that hangry mode. They look at him, because it's a little smart aleck almost. They said, oh, shall we go and buy 2,000 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? Uh, or 200, or 2,000, yeah, 2,000. A denarii is what you made in one day. So they go, man, even if we had 2,000 denarii of bread, is that gonna be enough? We're gonna go buy that somewhere? There's a little edge to what they're saying. Because part of what they're saying to Jesus is, Jesus, what you're asking us to do is impossible. We can't do that. And yet the reason, and, and this is what I want us to look at, because he's training them for the ministry they're gonna do later. And by default, guys, he's also training us. Remember what he said to his disciples? He said, I'm about to leave right before he take off and you're actually gonna do greater ministry after I'm gone. Once the Holy Spirit's come and he's in you, what I'm going to do through you and what he'll do through you will even be greater than what I can do in these isolated places. And part of it is trying to get a mentality right now that it's not just, oh man, people have a need. Jesus, I hope you do something about it. Jesus, you need to take, either you do something or man, we'll just send them away. Jesus looks at them and he says, no, I've got a different idea. What if you did something about it? What if you did it? See, I, I think what we have to embrace, Jesus chose to do his ministry and his mission to the world through us. He chose to do it through us. We're his plan. We're the church. And when I say that, his, his ministry, the things he did to help those in need, the things he did to reach out to those in crisis, the ways that he tangibly loved people and his mission of sharing the good news, those two things go hand in hand. Everywhere Jesus went, there was always truth and proof. He, he came in proclaiming the kingdom, proclaiming the truth, but he also brought the proof of tangibly healing and ministering and doing things to meet physical needs because he didn't want those needs to get in the way of people satisfying the real need. And, and he says to them, I'm choosing to do it through you. See, I, I say this because I think a lot of times we have that feeling like the disciples. You see a need in the world. 
Maybe it's something you're passionate about. Maybe it's something you see wrong. Maybe it's something you see needs to be done. How many times do you find yourself saying this? Well, somebody ought to do something about dot, dot, dot. Or, or, or we, maybe as Christians, here's how we say it. You know, the church ought to. The church really ought to, and we kind of fill it in. Or, you know, those people that have a lot of money, they ought to. Or those gifted people ought to. And, and I think in the equation, it is so easy to go, yeah, somebody ought to, but Jesus has put this passion in your heart. Jesus has opened your eyes to it. Jesus has brought them across your path like the good neighbor. Jesus has brought the need to your doorstep and he's moved in a way. And I think often we don't want to ask God directly. We'd rather just kind of go, oh, somebody ought to, church ought to, somebody ought to do that. Because I think if we ask God, many times his response to us is, well, why don't you do it? Why don't you step into it? Why don't you step out if you've got that passion, if you see that's wrong? If I brought it across your path, why don't you do it? And, and our response may be like the disciples that we go, yeah, Tim, these problems are bigger than me. These are huge. How would I do it? Look what Jesus said to them. He said, well, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And they went and they found out and they said, we've got five loaves and two fish. Now we know from John's gospel, they didn't actually have it. A little boy showed up with it. Try being that kid, the only person who packed a lunch that day. And Andrew finds him and, and they bring it and they go, this is all we have. I mean, five loaves, two fish. A second ago, we were trying to get 2000 denarii worth of bread to maybe give everybody a mouthful. This is all we have in this moment. Here's the point of it. To be a part of what Jesus is doing, you have to trust him with what you have. See, I, I think there's often, we see these issues in this world, we see these problems, we see these opportunities around the world and something in us stirs because you were created in the image of God. Because if you're a follower of Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit in you. There's something that stirs in you. There's a passion that stirs in you, but you look at it and you kind of go, yeah, but it's so much bigger. What can I do? I don't have enough time. I don't have enough talent. I don't have treasure. I, I don't have what it takes to actually solve that. And we kind of talk ourselves out of it before we ever start. And, and I think the question God has for us in that moment is what do you have? What could you give me? What could you trust me with? Folks, the world has been changed for the kingdom of God by people who are willing to answer that question and go, here, God, take what I have. Take who I am. No matter how small, no matter how flawed it is, no matter if I'm the least gifted person for it. I think of a guy like Dwight Moody who wanted to be a preacher, who wanted to be evangelist and all the ministerial boards kept flunking him because they said, you don't have enough education and your grammar's not good enough. You don't have the ability to stand up and speak in front of anybody. And if you know anything about Dwight Moody, one of the greatest evangelists 
this country's ever seen. Founded Moody Bible Institute, an institution of higher learning, because he said, God, take what I have and use it. I think of William Carey, who back at the end of the 18th century wanted to be a minister, wanted to be a missionary, but again, didn't have enough education. He was a, he, an apprentice to a shoemaker. And every time he'd go for the ordination board, the ministerial board, they denied him. They're like, you're, you're the wrong type. Finally, he becomes a minister and his, one of his first ministerial meetings, he stands up and he says, hey, I really think we ought to think about taking the gospel to other countries. Because in that time, nobody was thinking about the heathen around the world, as they called it. And one of the men, one of the pastors that was the leader told him to sit down. He said, William Carey, when God wants to save the heathen, he'll do it himself. He doesn't need you. And I would go, that guy got it exactly opposite of what God said. Carey didn't listen to him. He raised his own money and he went to India and he started issuing a call around the world. And he's the father of the modern mission movement because despite what he lacked, he said, here God, take what I have. I wanna be a part of your ministry and your mission around the world. I'm not gonna look at what I don't have. I'm not gonna look at how big the problem is. I'm gonna just look at what you can do through what I do have. Because I, I don't know how many times we, we talk ourselves out of opportunities. I, I remember one Saturday morning, and it wasn't here, it was another church, but it was one of our serve days as a church. We were out in the community, kind of like beautiful day, we were doing service projects. My problem was I wasn't on top of my sermon yet. So I was up early and I was working, looking through things and all that. And I kept thinking, oh, I need to go to the project. And then I started talking myself out of it. I was like, oh, they don't really need me. I mean, what am I gonna offer? They got plenty of people. You know, just kind of you know, how you do that in your mind, you go like, I don't have much. And finally I went late. I thought I'm gonna just go for a little, you know, kind of make an appearance, go. And I get there and, and one of them go, oh great, we've got teams, we're clearing brush at this site of this ministry is a drug rehab place and they're clearing brush. They said, we need somebody inside the dumpster. Get in the dumpster and we'll give you the brush as it comes in. So I, I spent the next like three hours in the dumpster. And in the dumpster was this guy named Jeff, about 60 year old, I'd never seen him before. He came out just to work that day. And we worked and kind of talked a little bit in that. And a, and a couple hours in, somebody was coming there bringing brush and they made a joke. They go, oh, look, somebody threw away the preacher. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and uh, I'll never forget Jeff, as soon as they said preacher, he, he looked at me almost stunned. He's like, you're a preacher? I said, yeah. He's like, oh man, that surprises me. And I'm like, what words have I been saying here in the dumpster? You know, I was like, oh, that's. And Jeff was on his own spiritual journey. He'd been running from God a little bit. Gone through a hard divorce, hard season. And, and he said, you know, I, I need to talk to somebody. And, and somebody told me I need to talk to a preacher. I didn't think I could ever talk to a preacher before, but could I come see you? He goes, after working these three hours, I think we could talk. And he, he came to my office and 
really painful, painful relationship with his adult children, painful what he was going through. The divorce had been painful. But he was actually interested in a woman in our church. They had been high school sweethearts. And Teresa wouldn't date him because she loved Jesus more than Jeff. And she told him, Jeff, you're an honorable young, you're an honorable man, but you don't know Jesus. And we got to talking and it's like, Jeff, what keeps you from coming to Jesus? And he kind of went through it and he really, I mean, he meandered with it. I said, Jeff, what would keep you from accepting Christ today? And finally with tears in his eyes, he said, I guess my own pride, 60 something year old man. And I get that, it, it's hard at that stage of life. I'll never forget getting on our knees together and praying together and seeing him come to Christ and seeing Christ transform his life. Man, he not only came to Christ, he got on fire for Christ. He ended up marrying Teresa and the ministry they still have to this day. I've, I've thought back, I have no clue what I preached that next Sunday. No one remembers that sermon on this planet. If I don't have a clue, I can promise you nobody else remembers it. But I'll never forget the interaction with Jeff. Because I had a few hours. And I had an opportunity to use what I have for him to use it. But it takes actually sacrificing it and giving it. As you do that, look at this. He said, then he commanded them to all sit down in groups on the green grass. They sat down in groups by hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and two fish. He looked up to the heaven and said a blessing. He broke the loaves. He gave them to the disciples to set before the people. He divided the two fish among them and they all ate and were satisfied. Like this is Thanksgiving day eating. You eat till you can't eat anymore. This isn't a, you get your little mouth full of bread, be happy with it. Now Jesus says, we got more than enough. They ate till they're satisfied and they took the 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish and those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. I mean, it's unbelievable what Jesus was able to do. And here's the point guys, when we go on mission with Jesus, we get to be a part of something bigger than us. We get to be a part of what he's doing in the world. That's one of the reasons I love being a part of this church and what we do around the world. When I, when I look at what's going on in around the world and I look at my ability to actually impact it, I am so limited personally, but I am so empowered by taking what I have and being a part of it. When I look at a country like India that is so closed with persecution, and so much so, uh, this last year I was scheduled to go over to India just to visit our partners. And our partners called and they said, you know what, it would not be a good idea for you to show up right now because of the level of scrutiny we are under. But I get an opportunity to partner there. You know how I do? I've got a young woman, Jaspreet, that Lee and I get to support. She's 16 years old lives in a small village. Her dad was killed when she was 12 years old. She's currently a Sikh. She's not a believer yet. 
but she's getting an education that her parents, her mom desperately longs for her to get. They make about $13 a month. And Lee and I get to come alongside her in this key season. And, and when I pray for her and I look at her picture, she's 16, I've, my youngest is 16. And I think of all the opportunities he has. And I'm so thankful that here I am thousands of miles away, but I get the opportunity to come along and partner. And she's not just getting an education, she's getting a pastor who's ministering to her family. She's getting the good news in her life. She's getting a life-changing opportunity and I get to be a part of something that is so much bigger than me. I get to be a part of what we're doing in Mexico. You read all about the drug cartels? You know we have ministry partners rescuing people out of those cartels. We have members of our church who have been part of baptisms of former cartel members. And they're, they're part of making a difference there. I get to be a part of ministry partners who are currently in the Middle East. And with all that you're reading in the crisis, they are there ministering to victims. They are there ministering to families. They are there providing relief and the good news. We, we get to minister in a Muslim village in Ethiopia where the leaders of the village actually say, thank you, Venture Church. Do you realize how big a deal that is? You know why we get to do that? Because so many people in this church stepped forward and said, I can partner with one kid. I can be a part of their life. I can change the trajectory of their life. Because they took what they have. It's not huge. But they came alongside and they said, I want to be a part of Jesus' ministry and mission in this world. See guys, the reason I get excited about this is Jesus could have kept all of this to himself. He didn't need a one of us to reach anybody on this planet. But he chose his church to be his hands and his feet. And he chooses us to, to have this opportunity to go, okay, Lord, take my resources, take my time, take my talents. Take what I have and reach this planet. And I promise you, when it does, it not only changes what's happening out there, it changes you. Ask any of us that have been part of this program. Ask anybody that's been part of the, the sponsorship program. I've yet to meet one person who came to me and said, oh, I wish I'd never done that. I've met so many that go, oh, it's the best thing I've done. Oh, it's so worth it. In fact, don't take my word for it. I want you to hear from one of our sponsors. Misha Heacock has uh, sponsored a young man for years. Listen to part of her story. I've been a sponsor since 2009, and I have the privilege of sponsoring a boy named Lemmy in Harare, Ethiopia. And it was actually on a Sunday, very similar to today, when I went to the back foyer and God prompted me to pick up the card of a little boy who was in second grade and to sponsor him. 
I knew it was going to help him get a good education, but I had no idea how God would use it to transform me. God would often prompt me to pray that beyond a good education, this little boy would grow up to know and love Jesus and be transformed by the gospel. As I started praying, God began to connect my heart to His. I began to have a desire to actually go visit Him in person. I had started sponsoring Him in 2009, and then a couple years later, went and got to meet Him in person, which was an unbelievable privilege. As I went and met Lemmy, I got to visit in his family. They warmly welcomed me into their home. And we just started having our hearts bonded together. Fast forward a few years, I went back when Lemmy was in high school and I could tell that he had given his heart to Jesus and he confirmed it. He was a worship leader in the Sunday service in their church and he just had a light inside of him that was really vibrant. I was there when he was wearing his cap and gown. He was off to university then. And I went in the summer of 2019 and was teaching my little sixth graders in a classroom and in walks Lemmy, surprising me and wanting to um, help in the classroom. So huge joy and just seeing him give back to the very program that invested in him when he was a small boy. Just the fact that God could bring someone who just existed on a piece of paper into an actual personal relationship with Him, where I really care about Him and God brings Him to mind a lot, like that's, that's a miracle that God does that. And I just feel super blessed that I get to be a part of His life. God's Word tells us in Matthew that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I've experienced that to be true. Because just in a simple giving towards a child sponsorship, God has developed and created these invisible heart strings between my heart here in San Jose, California, and Lemmy and his family's heart in Herrera, Ethiopia. And we're connected. He's a brother in Christ. I can't quite explain how amazing it is. I would just ask you to consider sponsoring a child, whether it's in Ethiopia or in India. I think um, God may be wanting to do a work in your heart, in your mind, that is far beyond what you would expect. It's changed how I think about the world and, and the people in it and how much love God has for all people. Yeah, I appreciate Misha sharing her story. I, I'd encourage you, ask any of us who've been a part of it. We, we've seen God do this, not only what he's doing there, what he does in our heart and life. And, and I know when I say this, and, and maybe you're there, because you're going, man, Tim, you're asking for something else. Man, sponsoring something else, sharing something else. We, we can immediately go, and I go to a place kind of that afraid of, uh, okay, if, if I step into this, who's gonna take care of me? And that's one of the things I love about the story. It's a Jesus touch in this story. I don't know if you saw it at the very end. The disciples who started this story, they were hungry. They were tired. They're at this place, they don't have any more to give. And then Jesus looks at him and says, you do it. 
and he takes what they have and he multiplies. Do you notice at the end of the story, after everybody was satisfied, they collected all that was left, the bread and the fish, and there were 12 baskets. How many disciples are there? Seems this object lesson as each of them sat down and they now have this whole basket of bread and fish at the end. It's Jesus' way of looking at them and going, I'll take care of you. Here's what I would encourage you with this, guys. When we trust him with what we have, we know he'll take care of us too. He's got you. He's got me. And so when he prompts you with that, you do it. When he prompts you to give what you do have, when he prompts you to step out by faith, when he prompts you to go be a part of of what he's doing in the world, don't hold on to go, I got to protect me. Trust him. That's why in Matthew 6, after he talks about worry and stress, notice how he ends it. He just says, seek the kingdom of God first. Seek his righteousness. Seek these things first. And all these things will be added to you. He'll take care of you. I, you know, I've, I've told you guys before, I just had an update on it this week though. I've watched it in my daughter's life, Kate. When seven, eight years ago, we were walking around the slums of Kigali in Rwanda and we were there part of a program as a sponsorship program for kids to be able to go to school. And I'll never forget, I had met with the board the day before and we had declared the day before, we can't accept any more kids. Program was barely making it. We were working on the books with it. And Kate walks up to me on the street. She's got this little boy. She goes, dad, I want you to meet Javance. I'm like, yeah, great to meet Javance. She said, his sister's in the program. I said, oh, that's great. She said, I want him in the program. Now I'm like, well, Kate, I don't think they're adding any more to the program. She said, no, I already talked to the director. They said they could add him. (laughs) Great. And I said, he needs a sponsor. She said, I'm going to sponsor him. Which at the time she was like 16. So in my mind, I'm going, oh, Tim, you've just got a new child to sponsor. (laughs) But you know, over the last eight years, I've watched my bank accounts linked with my kids, especially during those seasons from high school through college. I mean, she serves as a teacher's aide now in a preschool while she's getting her master's. She's had no money for the last eight years, none. If you saw the car she drives. But every month, she takes care of Javonsi. And they text and they talk. She was home this weekend. She said, dad, look at this text I got from Javonse. And he, he wrote her, he said, Kate, we just had our placement exams, the nationals. I got a 30 out of 30. I could not have done it without you. She said, my mom said to tell you, she is so proud of you. And she prays for you every day. Thank you, Kate. I love you. You are a bunch of hearts. Javonse. She wrote him back. Javonse, I'm so proud of you. Thank you for what you mean in my life. Guys, I want you to experience what only Jesus can do in these kind of interactions.
And he actually can do it through you. Don't let your fear talk you out of it. Don't pull back and look at your resource. Say, it's, it's too big, it's too much. Just trust him with what you have. Just step out, just do it. He's looking to us to be his hands and his feet. Now, I, I would encourage you today, one of the easiest ways to get in the game is sponsorship. In Venture, we have a team that works so hard. We've got tables in the lobby. You can go today and sign up and sponsor an Indian student. And you have the opportunity to impact a country that has more religious persecution than it's ever been. And you get to be a part of the solution. You can go today and sponsor a student in Ethiopia in a village with Muslim leaders who actually would be thankful for you for what you're doing in their life. And so I just challenge you, if you feel that sense of, oh yes, something needs to be done, do it. Go, at the very least, go to the table. Go talk to the leaders there. And I'd encourage you, just take what you have and sign up and be a part of it today. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. I thank you for uh, Jaspreet. I thank you for Barty. I thank you for Kurt. Thank you for Javonse. I thank you for these young people who've had an impact on my life and my family. I thank you for what you're doing around the world. I thank you for what you're doing through venture. Lord, we come to you today and uh, we, we pray, would you give us the courage to trust you, to trust you with what we have, knowing that you've called us to something bigger than ourselves. And we pray these things in Christ's name, amen. We hope today's message encouraged you in your journey of faith. To keep up with the latest messages and what's happening, make sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit venture.cc.